Bonjour, Nora. Ouh! Euh, Est-ce que c'est est -ce est le moment qu'on parle français? Non, je ne pense pas que c'est une bonne idée. Well, we did do the Quebec episode last week, so... It's true. Heureusement, il n'y a pas raison de parler français aujourd'hui parce que la communauté franco-ontarienne, they don't matter to Ford. C'est vrai. A lot of things don't matter to Ford. Um, but, you know, he's following in the uh, footsteps of these wonderful right-wing leaders across the world who talk about things like they matter and then do put, a, put in place policies that show that they really don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, while also putting in other policies to distract us. Like, I don't care what my license plate is going to look like. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> but but what about getting drunk at 9.05 in the morning? I mean, I'm really concerned about education. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really concerned about education. I'm concerned that he doesn't care about uh, about people who are struggling with uh, mental health issues and um, the, the opioid crisis and so on. Like, there's, there's a lot of stuff in there with respect to health, for sure, to talk about. But today, we're going to be talking about the education file. Once again. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to not have to talk about education for a while, but I think that it's really hard to look at that last budget um, that Ford dropped last week without highlighting the big red flags. Mm -hmm. And for us, mm -hmm. education is definitely probably the biggest red flag. There's other major cuts as well, but... The changes that, that Ford has announced to the higher education system are fundamental and historic. And and we called it. We called it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in, in case oh, you were yeah. looking for a tiny, tiny silver lining, it's that this podcast is good. Um, but before we get into the bad, <laughs> before we get into the bad, shout out to the folks who did the walkout. And shout out to the folks who did that amazing rally to save education in Ontario. That was a massive, massive, massive show of strength uh, from unions, parents, students in the province who flooded um, the, the, the front of Queen's Park um, in protest of the, the cuts to education. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And why is that important in case uh, it's not that obvious to some folks? As we've talked about before on this program, it's like it's it's incredibly important to one organize in our community so that people understand what's happening and two to show that people are willing to take action to take down a government that is doing putting in place unpopular policies. And so what this does is it shows the Ford government that there is going to be some sort of organized resistance um, that it is very, very popular, that resistance, and that uh, his policies for education are very, very unpopular. That sort of pressure puts pressure on the government to uh, reverse or change uh, what they've put in place, um, which, you know, the, the families who've been um, demonstrating with respect to the change in support for children with autism have already done. And it helps us uh, to... If we need, like, you know, this is a buildup to uh, a situation that could lead to 
um, a shift in government. It could force a shift in government if it's a sustained pressure, as we've seen in Quebec in the past. And I'm, of course, talking about the the um, the 2012 student strikes. And it's going to take us doing this over and over and over again um, if we if we want to have a result that is uh, the end of government. But any sort of pressure like this, you know, these these guys are thinking about being reelected in in three years. And uh, they don't want policies that are just so overwhelmingly uh, unpopular because it means that they won't stick around. So cheers to all those people who did all that organizing. Um, to, to Like, what a wonderful show of strength uh, from the ground in this province. Totally. And like, don't feel discouraged that the the budget came out and it's total shit and it doesn't seem like that rally worked. Right. Because that's not how rallies work. These are long term processes of building and of mobilizing. And as you say, of sharing education within communities, within schools, with among, among parents and among students. And so the reality is, is that that has to happen again and again and again. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. figuring out the way to call the next one to organize so that people are making that decision themselves to be mobilized such that re- people are ready with a couple of weeks notice to descend on Queens Park or to walk out of class again that's that's I think the reality that we're that we're, we're going to be living in or you're going to be living in for the next three years under mm-hmm. under this administration mm-hmm and so, I mean, that was about primary and secondary education. Uh, we're going to be talking today about post-secondary education and kind of demystifying the way that the government has talked about what they're going to put in place with respect to uh, the recently released budget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what they've said is that they're going to overhaul the way that funding is allocated for colleges and universities. And what they've said is that they're going to tie funding to performance outcomes. And I mean, that might not sound that bad to you. Like, okay, so students are performing well. Or if universities are performing well on, I don't know, whatever metrics or colleges, uh, then they get more funding. And if they're not performing well, they get less funding. And that's an incentive for them to get better. Sounds sounds perfect right like it it doesn't it doesn't on the face of it sound bad it sounds like it's something that they're doing to try to encourage better education and post-secondary education yeah yeah but it's not (laughs) no and so I, I you know I've been I said this to um to a bunch of people already that it seems like what the what the conservatives have done is they've made or they're hoping to make the biggest change to the higher education sector in Ontario that they reasonably could have gotten away with, uh, short, of course, of privatization, because that would have been very hard to have done in one mandate. So this is like their first budget. And, uh, and you know, we're going to talk about higher education, but there's a lot of other stuff in here, too, that's really bad. And um, when it comes to higher education, this idea that they're going to, to, to change the funding formula to chase performance performance what is it uh, measures outcomes whatever fucking meaningless management managerial word you want to stick in there this is <laughs> this is so bad I mean mm-hmm. I guess the whole point of this episode is to explain why this is so bad if you so bad 
if you don't know what performance measurement means, right? So let's start with that. Sandy, what what's performance measurement? <laughs> well, one of the, the issues is that we don't know. <laughs> what they're essentially saying is that there's, there's going to be some sort of like agreement between universities, colleges, and the government. And, you know, if the if the universities and colleges meet the, the outcomes that are in these agreements, they'll get, you know, they'll be incentivized with more funding. And so what we can kind of take from that, what we can assume from that, uh, is that the previous government's scheme of strategic mandate agreements, which we'll explain a little bit more, will serve likely as what these performance outcomes are. And so oftentimes on this podcast, we say like the conservative sucks, the conservatives suck, but it's the liberals fault. (laughs) um, Nowhere is this more true than here. So the strategic mandate agreements were something that the liberals had come up with, where they said, look, we want all of these uh, universities to come up with these um, mandates strategically so that we differentiate universities and colleges across the province, which would make sense if we had like, I don't know, 600 university and colleges, but we don't. (laughs) We're we're pretty like, you know, uh, the population is pretty (laughs) spread out in this province. And if you most most students are trying to go to their local schools, so it makes sense for for schools to be um, sufficiently diversified in the amount of uh, different opportunities that they can provide uh, for students. But what the liberal government was trying to do was say, okay, uh, University of Toronto, why don't you focus on engineering and we'll get Lakehead over here to focus on um, performing arts. Like they wanted to strategically mandate (laughs) universities and colleges to to be specific and differentiate Mm -hmm. one another, um, differentiate from one another. And they, they were doing this with the idea that they would tie funding um, to to what those specific things those universities and colleges would be focusing on. And so what that would mean is like, you know, is engineering more expensive to teach than drama? Like maybe. And so uh, some schools would get far more funding than other schools. And the way that schools are funded right now is per student. So there's a there's like a formula of how much every student, is worth, <laughs> um, and and schools are funded per uh, per student, and so <laughs> what the conservatives are doing are kind of like accelerating something that the that the liberals have had already discussed, and they're saying that they're probably like these strategic like we don't really know what what all the the details are on all this, but these strategic mandate agreements are probably going to serve as what the outcomes that they're looking for are, and they're saying straight up. We're going to fund you based on the outcomes, like what you're able to achieve. And I don't know, like this has been tried in other sectors um, in earlier forms of education in the United States where you use, um, mm. you know, if, if certain outcomes aren't met, you, you use the stick approach by giving less money, but that doesn't, uh, that doesn't help you meet those outcomes. So I'm not <laughs> really sure. Like no. the logic behind it, it, on the face of it, may sound like a good idea. But if you're, if you're removing the ability to make improvements 
regardless of whether those improvements make sense or not, which, you know, we'll get into. But if you're removing the ability to make any sort of change because you're, you're taking resources away from a budget, how is that going to assist um, a school in, in me- meeting those performance outcomes? It's, it's not. Well, no, especially because the highest cost programs are already the programs that a lot of universities have been chasing. So it's like one of the things that really gets me in this conversation is that the strength of the Ontario college system was that it is not a diverse system. The strength is that the college experience and the programs that you can get and the quality of education is the same. It's supposed to be the same across the province. And so you can go to Confederation or Conestoga or Mohawk or, uh, or Seneca or George Brown and you'll have the same education. And that's a strength because we want to ensure that you're not penalized for living beside a shittier college than if you live beside a good college. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of standardization in the college sector that has been built into it to ensure that, that there's that uniformity of educational quality of, of the kind of courses that you can take and of what you know one can reasonably expect you to be able to do if you have a, a certificate or a diploma in business administration, for example. Now, the, the university sector, of course, evolved quite differently. They evolved from being independent universities and, you know, there's the older ones, uh, in some cases tied to religious orders. And um, and then in the 1960s, there was an explosion of the newer universities. There's also been some universities that used to be colleges that morphed into the universities, into the university world. And the interesting thing of what you've seen in Ontario education is that by and large, universities have also started to converge in in certain ways. So there's there's going to be some universities that are standout on some programs. But by mm-hmm. and large, if you look at business and you look at arts, they're all the same. Like mm-hmm. no one gives a rat's ass if your if your degree says fucking Carleton or the University of Ottawa or if it says Queens. Like no one is getting off of having a fucking diploma from the University of Toronto. Sorry, University of Toronto. It's <laughs> you don't need to apologize to them. <laughs> it's effectively <sighs> the same thing, and that is good from the perspective of students, and it's good from the perspective of faculty because it means that you're not fighting to, to, to have this elitist bullshit idea of higher education that mm-hmm. um, it remains more accessible than if there was like this like massive rush of people trying to get into U of T and all of the rejects go to York, for example. <laughs> we, I know that's not true, right? York uh, students. <laughs> um, and <laughs> you don't need to <laughs> apologize to them either. <laughs> Maybe the students, not not the university. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling out my, all of all of the stereotypes I got. <laughs> so so that that's the strength of the system. And so when the liberals brought in these strategic mandates, it was like, you know, I was at Ryerson, so Ryerson's you know strengths. It was a bit goofy because it was like, well, we know Ryerson's strengths because there's certain programs at Ryerson that are better than other programs or don't exist anywhere else, right? Like you can't get a fashion university degree in most places. Like that's a strength that Ryerson has. Uh, or the journalism program, or the urban planning program, or, or or aerospace engineering, right? It's like, okay, we know what our strengths are. Except if we were chasing those strengths further for funding, what you would have is you would you would have a university that is oriented towards only a couple of elite programs, because of course these can't be mass admission programs either. That's part of the reason why they're they're good is because there's only a hundred seats or whatever every year in some of them. And that means that the the that you've got other ways to manage who enters the program than than merit. And of course, merit's 
not exactly how it works anyway, but at least there is still a, you know, in the case of radio and television arts at Ryerson, which is a good program, you still have to go through that interview. You have to show your portfolio and the average entrance marks are quite low compared to other programs, which I was thought was pretty neat that grades didn't get you uh, a, a ticket into radio and television arts at Ryerson. So when you start to then force diversification across every single school, then you're going to have the school that's good at X and the school that's good at Y, except that some of these programs are high cost programs. And so everybody wants a law school because they're a lot of money mm -hmm. to operate a law school. And everyone wants a medicine school because it's uh, prestigious and your university is prestigious if it has a medical school. And then that has impacts on engineering and sciences because there's different research opportunities that come from having a med school. I mean, it just chases everybody even further away from diversification, mm -hmm. oddly enough. But it's even more of a problem because this do can directly lead to the defunding of post-secondary education um, from the public sector. And like that may not seem obvious right off the cuff, but but let me tell you why. And first, before like even getting into the arguments about this, I I just want to say like all the all the the mm -hmm. advocacy organizations in the province, um, the Ontario Confederation of University Faculty Associations, uh, the Canadian Federation of Students Ontario, like they put out press releases that said this is really alarming. This is terrible. This is going to be really bad for us. Then if you take a look at the Council of Ontario Universities, which is um, a body made up of all the presidents of the universities, and um, I, I looked up the University of Toronto's because I'm very interested in what they have to say, those press releases read like a government press release like the University of Toronto's press release on on the changes to education actually quotes uh, Minister Vic Fidelli, which is so weird <laughs> to me. And so why why would like the faculty be upset about this? The students be upset about this, but not say the president of the University of Toronto? Well, the University of Toronto has been asking for the ability to well for two things uh, for recognition that it, it you know, is special in Ontario, and thus deserves more funding than all of its peers, screw you guys, and has also been asking for the ability to charge whatever tuition it wants, like that it should not be restricted like the rest of universities and colleges, and it should have the ability to charge whatever tuition it wants. Now let's just think about the way that it's like these strategic mandate agreements work. Yep. Is the is the is the province of Ontario going to say, okay, so you folks haven't met your strategic mandate agreements, so we're going to pull funding from you, um, and we're also just not going to allow you to increase tuition fees, so either we're just not going to allow, like we're not going to allow you to to have any sort of uh, other way of making more funding besides like generating. Um, donations and so on, especially for the smaller schools that was that would be really difficult. Or are they going to give them another opportunity to do that, another way to do that? Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's quite obvious to me that what this what this leads to is a situation where uh, the government is going to say, you know, this this school doesn't does not deserve funding from us because they're not able to meet these um, these uh, outcomes that we have designed or we've agreed that they would make would meet and if they need more funding they're going to have to find it elsewhere and I think that that's going to lead to them um removing the caps on tuition fees yeah definitely it is
And, and, and even worse than that, I mean, we were talking about these strategic mandate agreements that the liberals started to develop with every institution, which was a fucking idiotic plan that, that we condemned back then. And for fuck's sakes, here it is. The liberals are fucking us again from the grave. <laughs> like, thanks Thank to all the and I saw Glenn Murray being all fucking uh, savior of the people today, and I wanted to fucking punch my computer screen. Oh, my God. Um, so they set the, the pins up with these strategic uh, mandate agreements, except that that the Ford government doesn't even need to respect these. Mm-hmm. They can define performance outcome however the fuck they want. If they want performance outcome to be that, the, that every institution has a tailgate party every fucking morning, they can do that. <laughs> if they want to mandate that performance outcome is that your your faculty complement can't teach uh, more than 40% of your courses in some sort of frivolous piece of shit subject like arts and the humanities, they can mandate that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is actually, again, at its core, a fundamental attack on free speech and on the university's sanc- sacred freedom to determine what it teaches, how it teaches it, and who teaches it. Because when the universities become an arm of the government, everybody's fucked. Universities are, and to a lesser extent, colleges. Colleges have had more control over them by, like, the the, the shittiest version of, 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 of higher education administrators. But universities are supposed to be independent institutions of curiosity, of, of, this, of the pursuit of knowledge, uh, of spaces that create dissent in society. Um, and, of course, they've always also upheld upheld the status quo and upheld shitty government policy but but the control the direct control over universities is what's new here and the government being able to just decide whatever the fuck it wants for performance outcomes to then determine what funding is going to look like this is really dangerous this is really, mm-hmm. really bad, especially uh, in an era where we know this government hates certain kinds of criticism. So, um, you know, critical theory studies, I think everybody who's studying and who teaches within any of those critical theory areas needs to be very afraid for their jobs mm-hmm. and for the longevity of their of their programs. I think I anybody, you, none of them are in any strategic mandate agreements. <laughs> Well, no, and even if they were, I mean, those would be the first to go, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody that's doing anything that researches against the status quo, fuck, anybody doing research that questions our dependence on oil. I mean, the, 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 the impact is far-reaching. And we have a bunch of, of fucking anti-science, anti-knowledge, anti-education uh, thugs who are running Ontario right now, and everything everything is up for the taking really and so i feel like i feel like we haven't properly eviscerated the the council of ontario universities for their bullshit statement because it is basically say opening with welcome arms saying yes thank you doug ford you're you're gonna save uh, our, our sector we're gonna fucking do everything that you want us to do and it is so dangerous so dangerous mm-hmm. yeah it makes me wonder why they exist, because I've never seen them criticize any single government policy ever. They just, like, love up on the government no matter what they're doing. Yeah, so there's, so the, so the Council of Ontario University's statement around the budget, that they start by saying that they understand the fiscal challenges of the provincial government. 
as they work towards restoring a balanced and responsible budget by blah, blah, blah. So they're just parroting the fucking talking points of the government, okay? Um, and uh, that they support the government's commitment to protecting the services that matter most to Ontarians by pr- uh, pr- cutting unproductive red tape and restoring transparency and accountability to, accountability to Ontario taxpayers. Cutting unproductive red tape when it comes to the higher education system is, f- is fucking meaningless. Meaningless. Because all of the fucking red tape that exists within the institutions that are members of the Council of Ontario Universities have been created by the Mm -hmm. members of the Council Mm -hmm. of Ontario Universities. There is no red, right? There's no red tape that is that is mandated by government. Like the the most government related red tape when it comes to higher education is like OSAP. Right. Like that's the biggest bureaucracy that people have to deal with. There's some there's bureaucracy in terms of accounting to make sure that money is going where it's supposed to go. And that, you know, you can understand, yeah. uh, as, as Sandy was explaining, like who is worth what in terms of what program gets what funding. But like this language is fucking a lie, a lie. They could be talking about the fucking dairy industry or the fucking automotive industry they're they're ta- they're not talking about universities and these are fucking apparently university presidents who who run <laughs> these institutions of higher learning i mean it is i don't know maybe they hope that no one's reading what they fucking write because it is it is so i i'm having a hard time coming up with the words of how fucking hilarious and pathetic this kind of statement is like they even say with the shared goal to make Ontario competitive and open for business. What in the fuck does that mean? And open for business. It, it, is, it is as though the conservative government wrote that press release, which isn't that weird given who the president of the, the, the Council of Ontario Universities is right now. It's Mr. David Lindsay. Hey, David. As uh, the the press, the, the press release that announces uh, his appointment says. And he is, <laughs> so he was appointed in, in 2015. And he was previously, or well, it says in this press, uh, this press release currently, but um, he's, sorry, he was appointed in, in 2015, but started in 2016. Uh. And so he was previously the president and CEO of the Forest Products Association of Canada. Oh yeah, that's reasonable. That's a university fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And previous to that, he was the deputy minister in the government of Ontario in energy and infrastructure, northern development, mines and forestry, natural resources and tourism and culture. Awesome. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I mean, before that, he was president and CEO of Colleges Ontario. Okay. Yeah, but sorry, Colleges Ontario is like even fucking worse. It's like so this guy's going from the C team to the B team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, basically, this person is someone who has a lot of ties to government, clearly the liberal government. But we know that they they haven't been helpful on this stuff um, in the past. And uh, 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 but Sandy. If you keep reading the bio, you will see that he was the principal secretary and chief of staff of the Premier of Ontario from 1995 to 1997. Ooh. This motherfucker is a heresite. Yes, he's a heresite. Which rhymes with parasite. <laughs> and he was a founding president of the Ontario Superbuild Corporation. And if, if you remember, the Superbuild Corporation was what had public-private partnerships build big ass fucking buildings across Ontario's campuses where a lot of people made a lot of money off of these projects. Uh, classrooms were made to accommodate like 700 students, but then you couldn't hold exams in them anymore because there's too many fucking students in, in, in uh, d- gradated classroom lines or whatever, right? You can look down and see someone's exam in front of you. And, and that, and the whole super build project was a fucking Mike Harris, uh, 
start to privatize the system. So OU, OUC is just continuing that fucking work. See you. Yeah. <laughs> but something that you might be thinking you might be listening to us being like okay sandy and nora are being a little bit extra because i heard there was a tuition fee freeze yes there's a tuition fee freeze uh that was also announced in the budget do you know how long that tuition fee freeze is i mean like uh how long does the tailgate party happen for <laughs> two hours? So the tuition fee freeze is mandated for two years, oh. which is curious. It's curious because this is this is a majority government. Mm-hmm. They're going to be in power for another three years. Mm-hmm. And they've put in a 10% tuition fee reduction and a freeze for two years. And now they've announced all of this stuff that they're going to be doing um, to change the funding of post-secondary education. And currently, funding sits at around, uh, public funding sits at around 50%, just lower than 50%. Now, Nora and I have experience in the past where something like this happened with the liberals. So let me tell you what the liberals did. They also had a majority government. Um, They responded to uh, demands from students to freeze tuition fees. And they also announced a two-year freeze. And immediately after the upon getting elected, upon getting elected, and immediately after those, that two-year freeze was over, the Liberal government under Dalton McGuinty started increasing tuition fees higher than the previous Conservative government had been had been increasing tuition fees, and that leads us to the to the point where we're at today, where Ontario um, has I think one of the highest tuition fees in the uh, in the prov- in the country. I, I can't remember if we're number one right now. I have to take a look at Nova Scotia, but either number one or number two in terms of cost. And so, uh, you know, that's what the liberals did. So here we have the conservatives kind of replicating what happened in the early 2000s, where there's a freeze. It's announced for two years. It's a majority government, so they could say, they could, they could have announced a freeze for the rest of their time. They could have announced progressive reductions, but they didn't. They announced a freeze for two years, um, and that freeze will be over during their rule. What do we think is going to happen then? At this point, at that point, the, the, the implications of this budget will have played out for two years. The implications of uh, uh, colleges or universities that do not meet the performance outcomes that are mandated to them by the government, will, those implications will have shown themselves. And what are they going to do with all these cuts there's all these cuts that are happening. There's all these changes to funding post-secondary education and education in general. Uh, do we think that the government's going to say, "Man, this was this was maybe a, a bad idea. Let's put let's inject more money into the system from the public purse." They're going to say, "Thank goodness we didn't cut those taxes um, years ago, and we have some more money here that we can that could inject into the college and university system per student." Is that what's going to happen? I don't think so. Um, no, no. I mean, we, I, I was having flashbacks to 2003 mm-hmm. when I first got involved with the student, uh, the student movement where, <laughs> I mean, I just got in a, in a bit of a public weird war with Warren Kinsella, who is definitely not working for the Conservative Party of Ontario. Man, what an angry, what an angry man. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, he's definitely not working for the Conservative Party of Ontario because that's not what they're called. Uh, and he's <laughs> definitely not 
working for the Conservative Party of Ontario, but he did give them a thousand a thousand dollars um, a couple of weeks ago. So you know he's he's chummy with them, and of course Kinsella was working for Premier McGuinty mm-hmm. uh, as a strategy guy mm-hmm. to implement that two-year freeze while they then got another piece of shit, uh, Bob Ray, to create the, the the report to justify the increase of tuition fees. So I feel like what we're actually witnessing is history re- like massively repeating. And I'm not saying that Warren Kinsella works for Doug Ford directly. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's possible that he works for Doug Ford. <laughs> <laughs> And, I've, and even if he doesn't, like, we know how this script fucking plays yes. out because we pay attention. Yes. And in case you haven't been paying attention, because it is a pain in the ass to pay attention. I appreciate that because I fucking can't believe how fucking much I had to pay attention to this. I'm sure, Sandy, you feel the same way. Oh, my God. Yeah. But this is this is so bad. Yeah. This is so bad. And this is going to require um, this is going to require resistance to a level that Ontario has not seen in decades. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I don't really know the 60s of Ontario. Maybe it existed then, but maybe not even then, right? This is going to require the college and the university sector to become ungovernable. It's going to require the COU and university um, presidents and uh, administrators all over the province to, like, get off their ass. Like, at this point, you know, this is what U of T wants. So, like, when I see their press release, like... regurgitating the government it it doesn't surprise me it makes me upset but it doesn't surprise me but for the smaller universities Mm -hmm. for the newer universities you folks have to take the the council of ontario universities to task for basically cozying up to the government because this is going to spell bad news for your entire school and your administrations like it's gonna be really difficult for you folks to exist in this uh, to exist and thrive and be great for students, for, for the research that we need in this province, um, uh, under this type of policy move. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just students that need to be ungovernable. It's not just faculty that need to be ungovernable. It's not just the support staff. And in many ways, those, those groups of people have already been taking their administrations and the government to task for years over weird changes such as this. I mean, I know that uh, people have been on guard for this, for, for the strategic mandate agreements for some time, but the administrations of these institutions are very, very powerful, and they seem to roll over no matter what the government does. Like, I've never seen once, ever, a, a policy, no matter how bad, even, even Glenn Murray's we're just going to fund the universities and colleges on the number three because it's my favorite number policy. Like never, ever has <laughs> universities and colleges, um, you know, stood up to the government and said, no, this is not OK publicly. Now, they, they always claim that they do these things privately, but I don't know what they think that that's going to accomplish. What this government needs is public pressure, and the the administrations of our institutions are quite strong. And at some point, they're going to need to get off their ass and say, this is bad for education. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like the end. It's the end of the Ontario model of higher education, which is actually a very good model. And if if you are listening to this and you're not connected anymore to an institution, it's like, well, get in touch as an alumni. Like, be like call people and say are you are you fucking kidding like most presidents phone numbers are pretty easy to find right just google it and and get into their offices and and send them emails right most of them also have email addresses that still mimic the nomenclature for everyone else's email right Mm -hmm. 
if you have to guess like they they need to to feel the heat and these and these guys like they're you know they're they're going to protect class interests they're all paid exceedingly too much money for the work that they do no one deserves the money that they get but they certainly don't deserve the money that they get and so it's going to be a battle because because university presidents uh, administrators are going to feel like they have to protect their interests but there are like 20 of them at every institution and thousands and tens of thousands of workers and students and so yeah step step one of this battle has to be bringing the administration to their knees and forcing them to to stop parroting this line of the government and the cou man i I don't know like this is as you say it's not surprising um and uh with a heresite as their president i mean maybe they all knew this was going to happen and that's why they went with a guy like him but like the, the 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 council of ontario universities and colleges ontario doing the most damage to the sector is like bitter irony Bitter, bitter irony. Oh, man. So I'm really um, encouraged by the type of organizing that we're seeing from high school students in the province, the walkouts that have happened and so on. Um, yes. That the, the government has tried to blame on teachers, which is like so hilarious. <laughs> teachers would never, <laughs> would never. Like it's it's most definitely like these amazing young people who have been organizing themselves um, to do walkouts and protest of the changes to high schools in particular and like the sex ed- education, uh, the sexual education curriculum um, and cuts to education generally. I think that, you know, those that crop of students, some of them are likely going to be going to college or university in the future. And I'm really encouraged that they are going to be the folks that are there. They're becoming really politicized right now, um, trying to fight the cuts uh, that are happening to their current education system. And I hope they continue to pay attention to what's changing in the post-secondary education system. It really takes a lot of like listening and understanding to try to swim through the murky quagmire uh, that is how the university and college system in Ontario works. It's quite complicated. Um, but I'm really, really encouraged by these students who've done so many really great actions and have managed to, you know, win uh, on the sexual education file. And I'm hoping uh, that that, you know, injection of energy into the student movement in post-secondary education in this province will help um, because, I, I do think that we can win without the administrations. It would be nice if the administration was on the side of education for once and not on the side of like class interests. But I, I think that we can, but it's going to take a really, really organized student movement to do it. Yeah. And also like, you know, like this is not normal times. And so that period of, of time between you're finishing high school and you're going to university and everything's all new and scary, and you don't know what to do. Like I am telling you, if you are going to a school and you want to get politically active, don't wait until you're on campus. Be in touch with your student union now. Mm-hmm. Like send them an email or, or send five people an email and be like, hi, I'm going to be a student in the fall. I want to get involved. I want to get active. I want fucking, um, I want to know what kind of institutional supports there are to have a campaign like this. And I want to know um, that uh, that there will be actions and stuff happening at the start of school. Like walk in the, the place like you, like you own it because there's no time, unfortunately, right now to get used to campus life (laughs) like it now is the time for you to really jump into campus life um and and get involved and to really 
to really put yourself out there. I think that, that you know, the, the kind of message that you'll get back is not a fuck you, kid, you're nobody. It's going to be a, a it's going to be welcome arms in, in a lot of cases. And, you know, you know, direct message me if you're curious about how to do that kind of outreach yourself. But more than that, I mean, th- this is this is going to require uh, groups that have resources to to figure out how to operate, to put these resources into action. Right. The student movement in Ontario is under stress, to say the least. The cuts to the uh, to the mandatory stu- uh, student fees are, you know, this is still an issue. And that's going to create a massive bunch of problems on campus next year. And so unions have to be there and have to be helping with money and resources and ideas and structure to get these movements off the ground. Like I was struck by one of the organizers of the student walkout saying that um, that the walkout mostly organized itself on Instagram. And it's like, it's great, except there's a limit to that. And the limit to that is you cannot build a movement only on Instagram. You can get people into the streets on Instagram and you can reach people with information on Instagram and, and you can make friends and you can make connections. But the reality is, is that you have to figure out how to take that online organizing and organize in real life. And then there's a whole bunch of people that have no idea about online organizing and only know real life organizing. Those kinds of connections need to be made and you have to leverage mm-hmm. the strengths of both kinds of organizing to make your campus a, a location of resistance to the Ford government. And because it, it's not just higher mm-hmm. education, obviously, there's like so many other issues that they're that they're attacking that that the, that the campus is one of the last vestiges of a place where you can have free action and you can have free thought and having free action free thought is the only way that we're going to be able to to, to to topple this this government and and the, and it's the campus that helps to provide the node in other communities where people have nothing to do with the campus but they can get involved in that kind of work when they see that there are people organizing and trying to mobilize around these kinds of issues one more policy-based cautionary tale it's not really a cautionary tale. It's just a directive. <laughs> it's just a directive. Stop saying save OSAP, please, <laughs> please. Because, like, let's imagine that everything that oh we've said, we've yeah. predicted here comes to pass, as has happened several times before, because we're clairvoyant. Let's imagine that everything that we've said here comes to pass, and in two years, the government starts to increase tuition fees again, um, at, a, at a very rapid rate. What they will do is say, and in addition, we are responding to uh, the will of the people and we are re- reimagining, re-beefing up the OSAP system. They, they will increase tuition fees and what they will do is make sure that there is a debt program that is so severe that folks will be paying back um, that that debt program for so long in their lives, they're paying back their student loans for so long in their lives, and it becomes a measure for the government to increase the revenues off the backs of poorer people. And what I suspect will happen is it will be an income contingent loan repayment system, which has taken hold um, in so many places in the world where what they'll say is what sounds like a good policy, which is like, okay, so tuition fees are really high, and if you make um, $50,000, you'll only have to pay, um, I don't know, uh, 200 bucks a month on your student loan. But if you make $90,000, you'll have to pay 300 bucks a month on your student loan. And that's what they'll do um, to, to make sure that people seem placated, feel placated, whatever. But what that is meant to do is to convince you that you will always be able to pay off your tuition fees no matter how high they are. It lets the government off the hook and it will slowly 
slowly. Well, it will be one of the measures by which, in addition to these performance outcomes, that the government can continue to take public money away from post-secondary education and make it instead private, individually, user-based, um, funded through only uh, tuition fees or more and more a larger share of tuition fees than anything else. So please, OSAP doesn't need saving. Like what needs saving is our education system as a whole. Tuition shouldn't be that high. Funding should be high. And, you know, these this differentiation thing doesn't make sense in a world where we've got like a really vast province with a lot of spread out um, uh, institutions of higher education. Like it, it just doesn't like it doesn't make sense what they're doing. And you have to look at it as a whole and you can't take this one tiny piece changes to OSAP and say save OSAP because they will and they'll do it in a way that we don't like. Yeah, that's my final directive. Yeah. <laughs>